Haunted UK podcast is recorded and mixed in stereo. Listening through an environment such as stereo speakers or headphones will ensure you get the best experience. Let me quickly tell you about our official podcast sponsor, CDS Print and Design. CDS is a family-run company who offer great prices and great products, such as printed t-shirts, hoodies, canvases, coasters, placemats, stickers, banners, signage, and much, much more. For more information or for a free no-obligation quote, email Colin or Debbie at cdsprintanddesign at gmail.com. You can also find CDS Print and Design on Facebook and Instagram. Before we get started, I just want to let you know that the Haunted UK podcast is now on coffee. If you love the show and want more content, such as bite-sized bonus episodes, horror and paranormal movie reviews, chances to get your hands on exclusive Haunted UK podcast merchandise courtesy of CDS Print and Design, as well as a free Haunted UK podcast sticker and much more, then get yourself over to Coffee and sign up to donate just £3 per month. That's KO-FI and search for the Haunted UK podcast. Coffee. Why not buy us one? And here's a shout out to two amazing listeners who've done just that. I'd like to thank both Robert Daniels and Mike Palfrey for their incredibly generous donations to the show. Thank you so much. Another quick shout out I'd like to make is to a young man who I worked with for a while, but who still keeps in touch with me via Instagram. A genuinely good-natured and trustworthy person who, like most of us should do, followed his heart and made the move to the coast to be with the woman who he loved. Well, I'd like to extend my congratulations and those of your old work colleagues to you both, Connor and Megan, on hearing the brilliant news that you are expecting a baby boy. All the very best to you both and to your new family. This is Season 2 of the Haunted UK Podcast. In this season, we're going to cast our net far and wide to tell stories of UFOs, unsolved mysteries, strange creatures, unexplained disappearances, as well as further tales of ghosts, poltergeists and haunted locations. But before we dive in, why not make a note to listen to the following great podcast? Greetings, friends. Do you have a taste for the unknown? Are your days plagued with thoughts of the strange and morbid? Has your bloodlust for knowledge of the most sadistic killers that has ever walked the earth ever been satisfied? If not, then I'm here to help. Welcome to the Nightcap, where nothing is taboo and the topics are always fresh. Join me by the fire on the first of every month for tales of terror and stories of the sadistic. Learn why your neighbor might be hiding a horrible secret, or if that conspiracy theory you thought was false turned out to be real. Whatever your dark desire, I have what you need. You can find me on Spotify, Radio Public, and Anchor, with more ways to listen coming soon. Without further ado, be safe, stay curious, and now, back to your program. As I knelt down to peer into the bushes, 
I was met with a pair of yellow eyes with black pupils. I've never seen anything like those eyes in my life, and I never want to see them again. As I backed away, a low, growling noise came from the bushes. I fell over my BMX, then quickly picked it up and began pedalling like mad. Part of a witness statement of the sighting of a wolf-like creature. is episode 17 of the Haunted UK podcast, and in this episode, we're going on the trail of one of the most intriguing and frightening creatures of them all, the werewolf. The legend of the werewolf stretches back hundreds of years, covering dozens and dozens of countries, Stories tell of human beings infected by a cursed bloodline that reveals itself in the horrific culmination of being forced to transform into a wolf-like creature at the appearance of the full moon. The creature then goes on a violent rampage, needing to feed its animal instincts. Whilst lycanthropy is extremely rare, it's still considered a real mental disorder. Other psychiatrists believe that lycanthropy can be caused by other conditions such as schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, or even clinical depression. Whatever the most accurate causes, descriptions, and symptoms of lycanthropy are, to the sufferer, it is the belief that the patient has the power, ability, and belief that they can transform into a wolf or another animal, or that they believe that they are that animal. Creatures such as the werewolf also appear in cultures such as Native American Indian folklore. But could legendary beasts like these really exist in our modern world? Well, according to the witnesses of the stories that you'll hear on this episode, apparently so. We're going back to 1984 and to a park in the West Midlands. Bordering this particular park is a large cemetery, and both of these locations attracted a small group of four young teenage friends. Their plan was that they were all going to stay over at one of their parents' houses in a tent in the back garden. In the middle of the night, they would all go over to the park, mess around on the climbing frames, roam around the small woodland, and then, finally, they'd climb the wall of the cemetery and look for ghosts. Now let's face facts here. As teenagers, we've all done similar things to this, so it's not unusual to hear of friends plotting to do these kinds of things. After a few weeks of parent persuading, the four friends had a garden to pitch their tent in and a Saturday night to carry out their plan. 
The chosen Saturday soon arrived, and the group all gathered at the house to pitch their tent and get their sleeping bags ready. The parents of the teenager whose house and garden they were staying in cooked some chicken and chips for the group and then left them all to it. The ground rules were obvious. No noise, because of the neighbours. No trying to buy alcohol and getting drunk. And definitely no leaving the garden in the night and roaming the streets. They had a key to the back door for toilet breaks and in case the weather turned bad. All the lights in the house and surrounding houses slowly went out until there was darkness. As night crept into the early hours, the occasional car could be heard, but apart from that, the area was finally quiet. Now was the time to get out. To make the atmosphere even more spooky, a mist had descended, giving the area an eerie haze. After around an hour of messing around in the park, they decided to make their way to the cemetery wall. It was now around 3.15am and very cold, so the boys needed to keep moving to keep warm. The wall of the cemetery was bordered by a number of very large holly bushes, which had been cut and sculpted to look like a bullet-type shape that was standing on its base. The bushes were estimated to be around 12 feet in diameter and very dense. As the group neared the bushes and the wall, they noticed that one of the bushes was moving, as if there was something inside the cover of its branches. They then heard a series of noises that sounded like something was eating something. They all stayed quiet for a few minutes and were then horrified to see that moving from the cover of the holly bush and moving towards the woodland was an animal that was around six feet tall, covered with dark grey hair, with a large, dog-like snout, walking on two legs. To say that the teenagers were scared was an understatement. Unable to contain his panic anymore, one of the group ran for the cemetery wall to get as far away from whatever this creature was as possible. The rest of the group quickly followed, climbing the wall and running between the gravestones, heading for the main gate and back to the road. Behind them, They heard a loud growling noise and looking back, they saw that the creature had cleared the cemetery wall and was now running after them. The boys got to the gates and climbed as quickly as possible, dropping to the pavement and running across the road. One of them said that they thought they saw the creature change direction and run back towards the park, but they didn't stick around to find out. They ran back to the house, used the key and spent the rest of the night locked indoors. They all stayed away from the park for a long time, making their excuses when other friends wanted to cut through or meet up. They never saw the creature again. But maybe another person did. Around three years later in the same area, another sighting took place. But this one was truly terrifying. Jamie was celebrating his 21st birthday at a surprise party which had been organised by his mother. He'd been asked to go to a social club where his mother worked to give her a hand. Jamie cycled everywhere on his BMX. This was a huge passion of his and he was regularly seen at local bike and skate parks. He arrived with his bike and as he made his way into the main function room, the surprise was sprung and the party began. Jamie wasn't a big drinker at all, 
and by the end of the night he was pretty much sober. He also had work in the morning, so told his mother that he would make his own way home. Jamie's mum stayed at the function room with a few friends and tidied up as she didn't want to have to do it in the morning. It was just after midnight, and not far from the social club was a disused railway line which had been used by walkers, joggers and cyclists for years. This traffic-free pathway was also a great shortcut for Jamie to get back home very quickly, and at this time of night, the chances of people being on it were quite low. Jamie cycled along a pathway that led downhill to the railway trail. He then relaxed as he pedalled along. The trail was flanked both sides by steep high banks of trees and bushes, and these did a very good job of not only blocking out a lot of the street lighting, but also drowning out most of the road noise. Wanting a cigarette, Jamie stopped and got his lighter and cigarettes out of his pocket, lit one up, and then casually carried on. As he pedalled along, he noticed around a few hundred feet away a large, dark shape move out of the bushes, cross the pathway, and disappear into the undergrowth on the opposite side. Jamie slowed to a crawl, not sure what to make of the figure that he'd just seen. Was it a large dog, or was it a person? He wasn't too bothered by this at first. After all, he was a confident young man who knew how to look after himself. He also knew the area very well, and he wasn't too far away from where he could get off the trail and back onto the road not too far from his home. The trail began to get much wider as Jamie approached the remains of an old railway station platform and also the location of where the figure had moved across the pathway. Jamie slowed down, almost to a stop, when he heard movement coming from the bushes to his right. He called out to say that whoever it was, he wasn't scared and that they should come out and stop messing around. He went closer to the bushes and crouched down to see if he could find out what was in there. This was what he told family and friends what he saw. Quote, As I knelt down to peer into the bushes, I was met with a pair of yellow eyes with black pupils. I've never seen anything like those eyes in my life, and I never want to see them again. As I backed away, a low growling noise came from the bushes. I fell over my BMX, then quickly picked it up and began pedaling like mad. End quote. As he sped along, he briefly looked back to see what looked like a huge dog beginning to run after him. Real panic was now setting in and Jamie needed to either get off the trail or to lose whatever this animal was. There was quite a tight bend in the trail coming up quickly and Jamie decided to plunge himself into the undergrowth, ditch his bike and scramble up the bank to the fence above, which he knew led to a bridge that went back across the railway trail. His lungs screamed as he used every ounce of strength to get up the bank, over the fence and onto the bridge where he could look down onto the trail. As he focused on the pathway, he couldn't believe what he saw next. A large, dark figure, covered in what looked like hair, walking on all fours, came to a stop, then seemed to sniff the air, as if trying to pick up a scent. It made its way over to Jamie's bike, trying again to pick up a scent. This thing was huge and wasn't any type of dog that Jamie had ever seen. According to him, the creature then let out what sounded like a loud growl 
mixed with a human-sounding scream. Every hair on Jamie's body stood on end, but it was what happened next that really struck terror into him. Jamie watched in terrified amazement as the creature on the trail stood up onto two legs, turned to face the direction where it had originally came from, and began to run at incredible speed into the darkness until it disappeared from sight. There was no way that Jamie was going back onto the trail to retrieve his BMX. He ran the rest of the way home and locked himself inside his room until he heard his mother get back. Days turned to weeks, and everyone in Jamie's life knew that there was something badly wrong. He would only go to work and go straight home. He wouldn't use his bike anymore, choosing instead to get his mother to drive him places and pick him up. He wouldn't meet friends, wouldn't socialise, wouldn't get involved in family get-togethers. Eventually, he opened up to his mother and a few very close friends and told them what he had seen on the railway trail. Many thought that he'd been attacked on that night or been the victim of an attempted mugging. After all, it was two of his closest friends that went to find and retrieve his BMX the day after the incident. So what was this creature that was witnessed on two separate occasions in a relatively small area? Whatever it was, sightings of this mysterious and frightening creature have been documented in other areas of the UK. Before we continue, here's a message from another great podcast. Hello, Ghosty fam. Have you heard our podcast, The Activity Continues? I'm Amy, and I host the show with my friend and fellow fan of the paranormal, Megan. Hi, everyone. Our show is a recap of the TV show The Dead Files, which airs on the Travel Channel. Every week, we each pick an episode of The Dead Files and recap it for you. He thinks that he's possibly possessed. That's a bold statement to throw the P word around. Right, I know. And sometimes we even dig a little into the history of the crimes that led to the paranormal activity. That case was interesting to me, and so I googled it, and I newspapers.com it. And I found out a whole bunch of other stuff. Okay. We also talk about our own paranormal experiences and would love to talk about yours as well. And the next night, my bed moves. No. I about shit. But I didn't sleep for a week, I'm telling you. Bad. But I was convinced that this demon spirit that had attacked me in my dream was now and this bed. So if you want to share your stories, email us at theactivitycontinues at gmail.com. So grab a stogie, hop in the caddy, and join us for The Activity Continues. Nailed it. Now, back to the show. Slightly to the north of where the last two stories took place is an area called Cannock Chase. It's an extremely popular place offering beautiful woodland and forest walks, some of the best and most exciting mountain bike trails in the UK, as well as a stunning and poignant German military cemetery where almost 5,000 mainly German and Austrian nationals from both the First and Second World Wars are buried. Canuck Chase also had heavy involvement in the coal mining industry, with miles of mine shafts and tunnels running underneath the landscape, many of which, according to some sources, are still open for exploration even today, if you know where to look. Werewolf-like creatures have been spotted on a number of occasions on Canuck Chase, 
And the area has certain qualities which could not only help these monsters stay hidden, but also help them stay fed. Deer roam the chase, and mutilated animals have been found many times in the woods and forests. There are no large predators in the UK. Well, not that we know of. Canic's disused mine shafts could also offer shelter and a place of safety, but also somewhere to stay well hidden. 2007 seemed to be a time when sightings were at an all-time high. In April 2007, a scout leader who was taking a walk in the Cannot Chase forests had an experience that has stayed with him for years. This individual didn't want to reveal his identity, as he felt it could impact on his responsibilities and duties as a member of the scout's organization. On his walk, he described getting to an area where the undergrowth was quite dense, and whilst walking, he heard movement. Now this was broad daylight, so he was under the impression that this could be a deer. His opinion, however, was about to change. As he continued, the undergrowth and bushes began to thin out, and he noticed that, whatever the animal was, it was following him and prowling on the edge of the tree line. But this wasn't a deer. It looked like a huge dog. The witness began to feel incredibly uneasy and decided to speed up and make his way back to his car, which wasn't far away. All the while, the large dog kept pace, but didn't move any closer. As he got to his car, he unlocked the door, climbed in, and slammed it shut. And that's when his uneasy feeling became a reality. The slamming car door seemed to alarm the creature because it stood up onto its hind legs and ran off into the cover of the forest. The witness stated that the creature was around seven feet tall. Another witness, a postman, also saw some sort of huge wolf-like animal at the German military cemetery. He said that as soon as the animal saw him, it raised itself up onto its hind legs and ran off at speed into the forest. The creature, which has been seen on so many occasions at Cannock Chase, could have its beginnings traced back to an incident which occurred in 1975, which coincidentally was the first year when a werewolf sighting was reported. According to research collected by a number of sources, a 17-year-old male had summoned the devil via an Ouija board and agreed to trade his soul for the ability to transform into a werewolf. Shortly after, a friend of the individual said that he received a phone call from him and he sounded as if he was in absolute agony, screaming and making loud guttural growling noises and shouting that he was slowly turning into a werewolf. The phone then went dead. It was later confirmed that the boy had allegedly committed suicide. A post-mortem revealed that he had stabbed himself to death. Had the boy's trade with the devil somehow paid off? Even though the human vessel was dead, had the soul of the boy really taken the form of a werewolf? Another amazing sighting occurred in the summer of 1992. A man named Martin was driving through Ashbourne and the Staffordshire Moorlands, a route which borders the Peak District National Park. He was returning home from visiting his girlfriend. It was around 11pm and the roads were pretty much deserted, when in the distance at the side of the road, Martin saw what he described as a wolf-like creature. There were no streetlights, as this was quite a rural route, so the only light was coming from the car's headlights. 
Martin slowed to a crawl as he was genuinely frightened, but also fascinated. He described how the creature began to move from the tree line, slowly making its way to the middle of the road. This beast was huge, easily around eight feet long, but also extremely muscular and lean, and it didn't seem bothered at all by the sight of a car coming towards it. The creature had now stopped and was staring straight at Martin, completely unfazed. In a moment of sheer panic, Martin switched his headlights off, somehow hoping that the beast's stare would stop. Realising what he had done, he quickly turned the lights back on, by which time the creature was on the other side of the road, looking over its shoulder and holding its stare until it disappeared into the undergrowth. To this day, Martin is certain that what he saw was some type of wolf-like creature. One fascinating case of an individual believing that he was a werewolf was that of Bill Ramsey. Born in Southend-on-Sea, Essex, Bill was quite a normal child for the first few years of his life, but it was when he was nine years old that he had his first strange experience. It was a Saturday afternoon in 1952, and Bill was playing in the garden when a blast of ice-cold air sent him into a trance-like state. He immediately thought of the ocean waves and wolves, and it was only his mother's voice calling out to him that seemed to snap him out of this fixation. But what he had unleashed inside himself was truly frightening. As he regained his sense of normality, he found that he had pulled a fence post out of the ground, with the fence still attached. His parents were stunned at the sheer strength that their nine-year-old had seemed to summon from nowhere, but this strength was powered by feelings of immense anger and rage. His parents stared in disbelief and shock as Bill then started to try and chew through the wire mesh on the fence, only stopping when it appeared that he began to calm down. For the next 15 years, Bill had seemed to be able to bury this strange and frightening behaviour deep down somewhere. He even got married and became a great father to three children, but during the first two years of his marriage, Bill suffered from crippling identical nightmares. These dreams would always find Bill walking just a few steps behind his wife, who after a while would turn to face him, and then a look of complete terror would wash over her face. She would then start running. The dreams came to a stop in 1967 when Bill woke up one night to hear what sounded like a wild animal panting in the darkness of the bedroom. It was Bill himself. For almost 20 years, Bill was able to keep whatever was trying to take him over at bay. But in 1983, things took a frightening turn. On a night out down the local pub with friends, Bill suddenly felt the same freezing cold blast of air that he had experienced as a child. He quickly made his way to the toilets and tried to calm himself down, but when he looked at himself in the mirror, staring back at him was a werewolf. Bill returned to the group and made his excuses to go home. The rest of his friends also decided to call it a night and they all got in the car of the designated driver. Not long after starting their journey, Bill lost all control of the animal within and without warning, started to growl. His friends all said that it looked like his fingers began to grow claws. Then he tried to bite one of the legs of the passengers. 
Everyone in the car started to panic and they all tried to restrain Bill. The driver kept calm and pulled over, but it took the whole group to get Bill out of the car, by which time Bill's trance-like attack had finally come to an end. It was Christmas 1983 and Bill's next transformation was about to begin. After becoming concerned with chest pains, Bill decided to go to hospital to get himself checked out. In a cubicle, a nurse was taking Bill's blood pressure when that familiar feeling started to take a hold. Without warning, Bill bit into the nurse's arm, pulled the blood pressure monitor off and then began to run through the accident and emergency department. Anyone approaching Bill was knocked to the floor. Witnesses claimed that he transformed into a rampaging animal with hunched shoulders and fingers and nails that looked like claws. It took a number of men working as a team to get Bill to the floor, and then a policeman with handcuffs managed to get his arms restrained. But it still wasn't enough. A tranquilizer had to be used to finally get Bill under control. Doctors decided to keep Bill in hospital overnight for observation, but because he was only an outpatient, he was able to leave the following morning. A few more months passed, and after visiting his mother, Bill felt another attack welling up inside, so he decided to check himself back into the same hospital. Whilst he was being examined in a cubicle, Bill began to feel himself transforming again. This scared the life out of the nurse who was with him and she feared so much for her life that she told Bill that she was going to find a doctor. Before she could move, Bill threw her to one side and then went to attack an orderly. By chance, four police officers were in the accident and emergency department and heard the disturbance. It took all four officers to restrain him as well as handcuffs, but as quickly as the attack began, it ended and Bill was seemingly back to normal. He was shocked to see the injuries which he'd inflicted upon one officer, and they were so bad that it was four days before the policeman was allowed to leave hospital. The police officers all confirmed that at one stage, Bill was on all fours, growling and snarling before launching himself at them. Another attack took place in 1987, and it was so severe that Bill not only floored a police officer twice his size with ease, but then started to choke him. A dozen officers came to their colleagues' aid, and it took all of them as well as two sedative injections to finally bring Bill back under control. The officers said that Bill displayed unbelievable speed and superhuman strength. For the next 10 days, Bill was subjected to a barrage of tests and scans including x-rays, MRIs and psychiatric evaluations, but nothing could be identified as a potential problem. After Bill appeared on a British television program, his story caught the attention of American demonologist couple Ed and Lorraine Warren, who were staying in London at the time. Lorraine immediately felt that this was a classic case of possession and that the help that Bill needed wasn't available in any hospital. The Warrens decided to try and reach out to Bill and his family, with the possibility of meeting up and discussing a course of action to help stop the attacks and seizures. The media soon got a hold of the story and offered to fund Bill's trip to America to attend an exorcism at the Warrens' church in Connecticut. 
After much persuasion, Bill agreed to make the trip. So in 1989, Bill and his wife boarded a plane and made their way to America. The night before the exorcism was due to take place, Bill suffered yet another episode and tried to strangle his wife while she was asleep. His transformation was brief and he soon calmed down, realizing what he'd done. The next day, Bishop Robert McKenna began the exorcism and was around half an hour in when Bill began to snarl, growl and transform yet again. Bill's face began to contort and his hands and fingers began to bend and curl and resemble claws. Bishop McKenna was amazed by what he was witnessing but continued on with the service to the point where he commanded the demon to leave Bill for good. It was at this point that Bishop McKenna said that he felt the full force and power of the werewolf spirit which both him and the Warrens felt was responsible for the attacks that Bill had been suffering for all of these years. According to McKenna, the spirit was gone for good. But did this exorcism really work? Bill last gave a public update in 1992 and admitted that his transformations were becoming more and more violent and frequent. So far, there have been no further occurrences. But only time will tell. So, I guess it's over to you. What do you think? Are creatures known as werewolves real? Are the witnesses' experiences described in this episode all lies or misidentification? Are there areas of the UK, like many other countries in the world, where if you know your surroundings incredibly well and you know how to survive, you could stay hidden for years? So what's stopping the possibility of creatures such as werewolves being able to hide in our modern world and even hide in plain sight? One thing is certain. If you find yourself in a forest or a woodland, or even on an old railway trail, please keep aware of all of your surroundings, because the next person who could encounter one of these terrifying creatures could be you. And if you'd like to hear how werewolves may have affected the recording of this episode, then stay listening after the end of the theme, where you'll find a blooper reel. More content like this could be available to subscribers on Coffee for just £3 per month. I'd love to get to at least 30 subscribers, which would enable me to focus on things like merchandise, bonus episodes, and more blooper reels, specifically for Coffee subscribers. Well, we've come to the end of this episode of the Haunted UK podcast. But before I go, I'd like to give a few shout outs. And the first one, is to all of you, the listeners. Thank you so much for following, subscribing and listening. None of this would be possible without all of you. The show is available on all major platforms including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Casts and Radio Public. Wherever possible, leaving a positive five-star review helps the show in many ways. Listener figures are rapidly rising, and that's all down to you. So a huge thanks to all of you. Another shout-out goes to the show's sponsor, CDS Print and Design, who have been kind enough to come back for a second season. Huge thanks again to both Colin and Debbie. 
Next up is another request to all you listeners out there. Have you seen a ghost? Witnessed poltergeist activity? Had a strange, unexplained paranormal experience? Have you ever stayed in a haunted location or experienced something frightening on a ghost tour? Even better, do you live or work in a haunted house or building? Have you encountered or seen a UFO? Heard a story about an unsolved disappearance or mystery? Or have you been lucky enough to witness a strange, unknown creature? If you have, then your story could feature on our Listener Stories finale episode. Simply type your story up and email it to hauntedukpodcast at hotmail.com. That's hauntedukpodcast at hotmail.com. It's easy to do, and if you like, you can remain anonymous. Huge thanks in advance to you all. Besides writing, recording, mixing and mastering this podcast, I also run a mixing and mastering studio called Pink Flamingo Music Productions. If you have a podcast or piece of music that you'd like mixing, mastering or both, or if you'd like a piece of finished music written for a project that you're working on, then please email the studio with details of your inquiry to pinkflamingo.musicproductions at hotmail.com. That's pinkflamingo.musicproductions at hotmail.com. It's nowhere near as expensive as you'd think. This podcast was recorded at Pink Flamingo Music Production Studio in Hales Owen in the West Midlands, England. For a full list of research sources that helped immensely with the content of this episode, please refer to the show's notes. Thank you all so much again for listening, and we'll be back very soon with another episode. Until then, stay safe and take care. And here's a shout out to two amazing listeners who've done just that. I'd like to thank both Rob. I'd like to thank both of them, even though I haven't said their names. Whilst lycanthropy is extremely rare, it's still considered. Creatures such as the werewolf also appear in cultures such as Native American, Native American, Indian folklore. Yes, when I was exploring over there, I, I you know, I had this uh, like, creature with awful horns and it would like go bounding around and jumping over things like totem poles. 
Now let's face facts here. As teenagers, we've all done similar things. We've all done similar things to this. <laughs> Ronnie Corbett here. I remember the day that I was hauled up in front of the Director General of the BBC and he said, <laughs> he said, look, Ronnie, you're a werewolf. The ground rule... The ground rules were obvious, right? No pole vaulting over next door's garden, right? You don't do that. You don't want to do that. No weeing on any cats or dogs or hedgehogs, because they don't like it. They just prefer rain. Jamie was celebrating his 21st birthday. Birthday? Me, the 13th Duke of Wimbledon, here at a birthday party <laughs> with my reputation. <laughs> Watch out, ladies. Around three years later, in the same area, I said that absolutely bloody awfully then. Wanting a cigarette, Jamie stopped and got his lighter and cigarettes out of his pocket, lit one up, and then casually clarried on. Casually clarried? <laughs> My God, I'm making up words again. Very, very drunk. As he focused on the pathway, he couldn't believe what he saw next. A large, dark figure covered in what... Covered in what looked like pizza, to be honest. Uh, you know, I've just never seen nothing like it at all. It just... It appeared looking like a pepperoni pizza, and it was like woggling up the trail. <laughs> I've just got to say this, that this isn't an actual cock-up, but I wish you'd have just seen my face. The, um promo, my second promo that I'm doing, which is for the Activity Continues podcast, came on really loud as I was reading this story out, and I've literally just pooed myself. In April 2007, a scout leader who was taking a walk in the Cannock Chase further forth was out there, and he stumbled across something that looked a little bit like a large brown bear, and it went... On his walk, he described getting to an area where the undergrowth was quite dense. And whilst walking, he heard more, more he heard Mormons. They were everywhere. They were like all over the place, right? You know, you go out there and there are like these Mormons everywhere. The slamming car door seemed to alarm the creature because it stood up onto its, its tined legs. It had two amazing tined legs. I thought you said, Andy, that you didn't like werewolf stories. Yeah, no. Yeah, I want to do that one. There were no streetlights, as this was quite, it was quite a rural area. I cannot say this sentence. It's utterly amazing, and I, I'm, I don't like it, and I won't have it. It's as simple as that. His parents were stunned at the sheer strength that their nine-year-old, nine-year-old, nine... Hello, it's Jeremy Vine on BBC Radio 2. Have you been attacked by a giant wasp? If you have, call me. Does your dog bad? No. That's what you said, your dog did not bad. It is not my dog. A few more months passed, and after visiting, after visiting, he's done it again. My God, he's done it again. He's saying the words visiting. It's all new. To finally bring, bring Bill Bev. 
So, it's Joe Pasquale here, and I'm on the Haunted UK podcast, and I'm hosting the show, because I know a song that'll get on your nerves off. Uh, I'm a better boxer, and I'm Chris Rubank. Hey, listening, after the... See, I can't even do the bloody blooper introduction. 